Marcheseau slides it around the rim. He's got Eichel, top of the left circle, closing in. He shoots, he scores! Jack Eichel, power play goal! Because one hour isn't enough, we welcome you back for hour number two of the Vegas Golden Knights Insider Show. Locke looks up, taps it back to Donov in the middle, he shoots, he scores! Jubilation! Vegas in overtime! Chevrolet, Fox Sports Las Vegas Studios, and live at lbsportsnetwork.com with your hosts, Darren Millard and Ryan Wallace. Hour two rolling along here on a Friday. It's the VGK Insider Show. Ryan Wallace, Chris Chapman, along with you. Uh, a couple of, of notes when it comes to next week. Uh, we will be going Monday through Friday next week. So full slate, full week of shows during development camp for the Vegas Golden Knights and the VGK Insider Show. Uh, after Friday, we will be on hiatus. Uh, it's it's something that happens every single year. So uh, we've got five more shows after this one with you. And, and believe me when I tell you, I think that Free Agency Wednesday is going to be a very fun and entertaining show, an exciting show. And I don't know about you, Chapman, but for me, um, it's always weird in the days after the Stanley Cup final. Like once the Stanley Cup is awarded, once you've got a champion of the season, things get a little weird because you have a little bit of depression about the idea that you're going to have to go about three-ish months without hockey. You have the off season. You have kind of that the, the blues about, well, okay, now it's officially over. There's no hockey on TV. I don't get to watch games every other day. This is not fun. And then all of a sudden, the draft rolls around. All of a sudden, you're gearing up for free agency, and you are just kick-started right into thinking about dreaming about looking at next season and next season is now very much real because the nhl released the full season schedule for all 32 teams in the last couple of days and for the golden knights there's a couple of really specific dates that i think are really really intriguing number one the golden knights are going to open the season on the road tuesday october 11th at the crypt uh, I hate that I'm going to even say that, but at Crypto.com Arena against the Los Angeles Kings. The Vegas opening on the road is interesting to me in that they've done it often throughout their history. I believe the last time they opened on the road was in year number one um, in Dallas. But to me, I, I look at this as an opportunity for the Golden Knights to just go out there and, and face off against one of, I believe the the better teams in the Pacific Division next year. It could be the beginning of a legitimate rivalry between Vegas and Los Angeles. At least that's my hope with this one. And it'll be part of the the doubleheader of of the season opener in North America. I I'm really excited to see where the Golden Knights go. Next season, there's a lot of talk about this team having something to prove. There's a lot of, of talk when it surrounds the Golden Knights of getting right back to where they were prior to missing the playoffs, and that is among the very elite in the National Hockey League. So I, I like the idea of Vegas opening the season on the road, especially when you consider what their home opener is going to be. That will be on Thursday, October 11th against the Chicago Blackhawks, frankly, 
I think we can already give Vegas two points and a win in the column as I just don't see any scenario right now whatsoever where the Chicago Blackhawks are going to beat the Golden Knights regardless of what happens over the next three months. Yeah, that 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 should for sure be uh, two points. Um, the schedule is really interesting, especially the fact that three of the first four games are on the road. So when when I look at that, I'm like, ah, that's that's kind of unusual for these guys because in the past they 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 as you mentioned, year one the first two games were on the road, Dallas and Arizona. They come home and then they have a bunch of games at home in a row to, to basically start the season. Um, so for them to open with three or four on the road. There's a trip to Calgary in there. There's a trip to Seattle. But I don't know if Calgary is going to be as good as they were last year. I I certainly think that these guys are more than capable of going up to Seattle and, and winning a game up there. So you, you look at those first four games and you're like, you know, these guys have a little bit of an opportunity to get off to a better, a much better start than they did last year. What was it? One and four to start the season. So. Um, obviously, a lot can change between now because we haven't hit free agency and that October 11th game. But, uh, you know, there, it, it's certainly, I would say, a um, a nice few games for Vegas to start the season. Yeah, I, I, I think that there's certainly an aspect there for the Golden Knights that you can get off to a good start. And if you get off to a good start, then... You know, from there, it's it's all about kind of continuing that on. And, and, you know, again, there's no easy games in the NHL, and I'm kind of bagging on the Chicago Blackhawks. But the fact of the matter is, I, I, I don't understand it. We talked with Ben Goats in hour number one. You don't have to go scorched earth. You don't have to do what Chicago did over the last 24 hours. And yet here we are. This is a team that has completely gutted what made that or gutted parts of their team that you could build around. And there's serious questions now about the, the future of Patrick Kane with Chicago. And I would argue there should be serious questions about the future of Jonathan Taves. Cause if you're going to trade Alex to and Kirby doc, and you go into next season with both Kane and Taves on your roster with just one year left on their deals, you're you're not doing it right, right? Like you're not maximizing your rebuild potential here. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how that goes. Uh, now, one thing from the NHL schedule, I always pay attention to this because I think it's fun and there's a little bit of a storyline there, but the Stanley Cup final rematch is not going to take place, Chapman, until February 9th in Tampa when the Avs visit the Lightning. I feel like that is too late in the season to kind of capture the moment of what that should be. I don't get why you're putting uh, putting Colorado and Tampa into their first action against each other off of one of the better Stanley Cup finals you've had in years so late into the season. Yeah, it's a missed opportunity, I think, for the league because if, if you think about the way the NFL and the NBA do their schedules, they always like to start with a bang. Like, the opening night in the NFL is always a high-profile, big-time game between two really high-profile, really good teams. Like, I would always be in favor if the league said, you know what, we're going to open the season on such-and-such such a date, and we're going to have two games, and we're going to take two teams that went really far in the playoffs last year, and we're going to have them play each other. Give the fans something to, to get excited about really early on. Look, I mean, here it's like, all right, big deal. They they open against the Kings. We, we see the Kings all the time. 
Like, I understand maybe maybe they're trying to build something, a little bit of a rivalry between Vegas and Los Angeles. But last year, Vegas and, and Seattle opened up against each other. Like, that was so cool because you had the last two teams to be to join the league, and they played each other the, the opening night of the season. Like, to me, that was super cool because you had intrigue. You had interest for non-hockey fans. I, I, I think... You kind of miss the ball when you when you have that really high profile rematch of the Stanley Cup final after the All Star game. Like by that point, you're you're in the dog days of the season. Like the grind has already been underway. People who who watch every night, who knows? Maybe maybe one of those teams stink next year. Maybe they have problems. Maybe they go through injuries like Vegas did this year, and can, and they're not nearly as I, good. Can I propose? Can I propose? A very simple concept here. The Stanley Cup final should be the season opener next year. Yeah. So whatever whatever the combination is, the last two teams playing the year before should be the only two teams playing the night the next season starts. It should always be the two teams in the Stanley Cup final renewing that rivalry and playing against each other. And it sucks, and it's it's terrible, but it should always be the team that wins starting at home, and it should always be the team that's visiting, having to endure not just watching that team win the Cup, but then having to watch them lift the banner. It is psychological warfare. It's a great way to generate a lot of buzz for your season opener. To me, game number one of the next season should absolutely be the continuation of what you had in the Stanley Cup final the year before. Yeah, like I'm totally on board with that because I feel like it's it's an important it's an important night in the league. Like I'll go to the NFL this year. Granted, it's not a Super Bowl rematch, but you get the Buffalo Bills against the L.A. Rams. You have the reigning Super Bowl champions against a team that played one of the most exciting games of the season, one of the most exciting young quarterbacks in Josh Allen. People will tune into that because they're excited for these two high-profile teams. Give them their own night and let them play. I don't care where the game is. You know what? Have that game in the home of the defending cup champ, so the the losing team could sit in their locker room and be angry, while the while the Colorado Avalanche are out on the ice watching their banner be raised, and the Tampa Bay Lightning have to sit in that locker room while it's happening. I mean, you can't get any more intriguing than that. You can't get much more better in terms of of action than that. They 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 drop the ball. Like I don't know who Tampa opens against. I don't really care. But if you told me that Tampa opened the season in Colorado, right away my ears perk up. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you. I, I I just look at it and say, okay, if you want to generate buzz, if you want to really get to the, the meat and potatoes of the season, if you want to open up all, with a bang, it's the Stanley Cup Final. Game number one of, of the next season is a rematch of the Stanley Cup Final. Frankly, it would be awesome. I, I would love to see it, but we don't get that rematch until mid-February. Good luck having that be something that a lot of people are tuning in for. Um, I, I do want to talk about the Golden Knights specifically, though, because I always look at the Cup champions and that first game that, that the, the Golden Knights are going to play against the Colorado Avalanche will be Saturday, October 22nd. Um, 
it's going to be fun. It's going to be electric. There's a rivalry here between the Golden Knights and the Colorado Avalanche. There just is. It's not a bitter rivalry. It's not a rivalry that's going to be waged with fights and that kind of stuff. But as a measuring stick game, the Golden Knights are going to want to show out in that one against Colorado. Yeah, and I hate that I'm going to miss it because I'm going to be in South Bend, Indiana for UNLV and Notre Dame <laughs> that night. So, of course, thanks. Thanks a lot, League. Um, yeah, you're you're right. There, there definitely it's – I don't know if it's it's quite the rivalry that, like, say – you know, Pittsburgh and, and, and Washington were, or Pittsburgh and, and, and Boston. But, like, you, you've got a little bit of, of, of teams that, that don't like each other, right? Like, Colorado, they've now reached the, the pinnacle. They, they've, they've reached the top of the mountain. Vegas is still trying to get there. So I, I look at it as a game where Vegas is going to come out, and they're going to have something to prove. You know, hey, we can play with these guys. We belong in the conversation with these guys as one of the elite teams. Last year was last year. It was it was a bizarre, weird set of circumstances that that caught up with us. Otherwise, we would have been right there with them at the end, fighting them to to advance out of the Western Conference. I like I like that these two teams are meeting early on. Seems like they always have a game early in the season. I remember was it Nevada Day opening year where, where Vegas just absolutely blew the doors off of them. Oscar Dance gets the shutout. They they put up seven on the Colorado Avalanche. They win that game going away. Um, so it's it's the kind of game where they, it, it seems like they always play early in the season, but I do think there's going to be going to be a little bit of 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 I don't know I don't know if Colorado is going to approach it the same way Vegas will because I think Colorado doesn't care at this point they're like hey you know what we 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 set out what we wanted to accomplish for Vegas they're still trying to get there so I do think that the, that for Vegas like I said it's going to be a bit of a we we've got the chip on our shoulder. We're going to play like we've got something to prove in this game. I I think that's going to be an, an absolute ridiculous game. I think it's going to be great. Bruce Cassidy will return to play the Boston Bruins in Boston December 5th. What kind of reception do you think he's going to get from the Bruins faithful? Uh I think you'll get a good reception. I I mean Boston Boston in general is a tough city like but I think for the most part, I think they respect their their, their former players and coaches. Like, I, I I think it's a good sports town. I I can't stand their teams, but I think I think they respect Bruce. I think he'll get a pretty good ovation, and then they'll go out and they'll try to kick his teeth down. You know, I mean that that's kind of the way that that they are there. But um, I I don't expect him to to get booed. I mean, look, he had one year left on his deal. I I don't feel like the Bruins really underachieved. When he was there, I mean, they were always competitive. They were always pretty good. So it's not like he was a terrible coach. So I think, I think it's, it's, I think he'll get a good reception. And then once, once the puck drops, I think all that'll be behind them, and that, that's that. Yeah, I, I think so too. It'll be an interesting one in that I, I do think the fans respected what Bruce Cassidy was able to do. I would probably even argue that there's a large contingent of fans that don't believe Bruce Cassidy should have been uh, the guy. That's the, the other aspect of this. Yeah. Right. So so you wonder if cheering Bruce Cassidy is somehow a a message to the front office of the Boston Bruins. That'll be a fascinating one to keep an eye on. Uh, Pete DeBoer, obviously we're going to talk about this one. Pete DeBoer will be back in the Fortress January 16th as the Dallas Stars take on the Vegas Golden Knights. Uh, that's going to be the interesting question. What's the reception for Pete DeBoer coming back here to Vegas? I think it's going to be mixed. 
I think there's a large percentage of fans that never warmed up to him, never accepted him, and I think they will absolutely boo him. And I think there's there's a there's a percentage of fans that that liked Pete, like you and I, and and everyone else in the media. We got to see a different side of Pete every morning, and and you know, I I always thought he was enjoyable. Um, certainly a smart guy, but we're not fans. It's a little bit different for for us than it is for for the fans. So. I think there, there'll, there'll definitely be some some booze. I, I think there's a lot of people that don't like him because of the the past history with San Jose and the stuff that went on between him and uh, Gallant, and obviously those two buried the hatchet and put it behind them. But it'll be interesting for sure. And and I I mean I hope he doesn't get booed, but I, I do think there will be people that boo Pete. You you know I I don't know where I stand on this one because I I'd like to believe that it won't be a mixed reaction. Pete DeBoer did a lot of winning here in Las Vegas, right? Like, Pete DeBoer won a lot of games with the Vegas Golden Knights. I agree with Kelly McCrimmon in that you can't really look at the tenure for Pete as anything other than successful. Like, you're among the final four two out of the three seasons. I think that there's something there, and and fans should have been able to or had enough time at least to kind of bridge the gap between who he was as the bench boss of the San Jose Sharks to what he was able to do and accomplish with Vegas. But ultimately, it didn't result in a Stanley Cup. And I, I think the only way that you were going to get a, a warm reception or the only way you're going to get a warm reception for Pete coming back would have been if he would have won a Stanley Cup. And and considering that didn't happen, I think the fans are, are still um, – sour about not a major they're still sour about the 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 rivalry between vegas and san jose and i think that it will in 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 your estimation chris lead to a mixed reaction for a coach that should be i think a little bit more respected among this city and this fan base than he's going to be yeah and i mean i just look at the way some of the fans and, and you and i see it on on the bird all the time the way the fans treat robin leonard and, and there's still a section of the fan base that, for whatever reason, dislikes Robin Leonard. I mean, I get I get messages all the time from people who who can't stand the guy, and it's like I I, I don't get it. Like, first of all, he's he's a good guy, and second of all, he, he's a good player. So, I I think you're going to have a, a a portion of the fan base that will always be stuck in in 2017, 2018, and will will always think that this is a team that that is the misfits and the reality is it's a business things change players change at some point you know the guys we're watching today are are, are not going to be there anymore so it's it's part of being a sports town you have to accept these things and and listen sometimes unpop sometimes popular players get traded sometimes popular coaches get fired it's just the way it is it's it's the business it's not I don't think it's anything personal from the front office mm-hmm. that that they traded Mark Andre Fleury, but they they made a decision that they had to do. So, um, I, I I think it's it's at some point that some of the fans need to grow up and 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 deal with the fact that look, guys are going to come and go, and it's part of being a sports fan. I mean, I'm I, I you and I have have watched our favorite players come and go. I mean, it, it's just the way it is. Like the day Scott Niedermeyer left the Devils, I was crushed, and then he goes yeah. and wins another Stanley Cup. So it, it's it's just part of the business. It's part of the game, and and I think it'll be sad if, if fans boo Pete because he certainly deserves a lot better than that. He he certainly deserves a warm reception because I don't think he ever did anything in his tenure here to warrant the fans not liking him and and, and disrespecting him in that way. 
Yeah, I, I, I'm really curious to see what the reception is going to be for Pete DeBoer. I, I cannot wait for the 2022-23 NHL season. We're, we're, it's, it's real, Chris. It, it's coming. It is. There still needs to be a little bit of patience. There still is going to be some time between now and then. But, you know, for the Golden Knights, it, it's going to be a, a season built around proving to the world that this team is a Stanley Cup contender, proving to the world that this team can do it. And as we've talked about multiple times with the Golden Knights from their inception, when you count the team out, when you say that they are not what they want to be, when they've got a chip on their shoulder, that's when they're at their most dangerous, and I cannot wait for next season to see what iteration of the Vegas Golden Knights we get. On the other side of the break, we're back with one-timers. I'm telling you, this is going to be a fun, jam-packed one-timers segment. But before we get there, we're giving away another pair of tickets to Battle for Vegas, the charity softball game, Monday, July 16th. A couple of tickets, a pair of tickets to that. 702-876-1340 is the number. Caller number four. You're a winner. Caller number four, 702-876-1340. One-timers is coming up next. Maybe a two-on-one. Petrangelo gets it. He shoots. He scores. It's time for one-timers. One-timers. Short-handed goal. Alex Petrangelo. Quick looks at some of the biggest stories of the day on the VGK Insider Show. One-timers brought to you by Paul Powell. More lawyers, less fee. All right. I promised we would talk about it, and we're going to right now. Uh, News broke yesterday that the Minnesota Wild and goaltender Marc-Andre Fleury reached a deal on a two-year contract extension, $7 million over the course of two years, $3.5 million for Marc-Andre Fleury. That's fine, even though like I don't understand it from Minnesota's perspective. I really don't. I think Cam Talbot's perfectly fine. I think you can get a cheaper backup. I don't think you need a 50-50 split because I don't think Minnesota's going to be as good as they were last year because that window, that ship's kind of sailed with the fact that they've got about $12.5 million in dead cap space due to the buyout of Zach Parise and Ryan Suter. But all that being said, and I think I got it done in one breath, Bill Guerin decides to bring back Marc-Andre Fleury. He's a great team guy, good in the room, all that stuff. Except for the fact that it's not sitting particularly well with Cam Talbot. Oh, you know, the all-star goaltender from the Minnesota Wild last season. And of course, as things tend to do, as you get everybody in a room together and you have insiders looking to break information, apparently... The news of Marc-Andre Fleury's extension did not sit particularly well with Cam Talbot. By way of Cam Talbot's agent, George Bezos, he confirmed to Pierre Lebrun that there was a conversation in which Cam Talbot's agent and GM Bill Guerin, quote, stated their positions, end quote. And Bezos went on to say, Billy, Bill Guerin in this situation, has a lot to think about. That was yesterday. Shots fired. Okay. Well, today on the draft floor, Bill Guerin, during one of his scrums, had an absolutely phenomenal reply to Cam Talbot's camp and his agent. Quote, I don't have bleep to do. 
Cam Talbot's under contract. George can say whatever the hell he wants. My team's set right now, and that's the way it goes. We can have all the discussions we want. Cam's a member of our team. We really like Cam. All we're trying to do is win, end quote. I don't have bleep to do. Cam's under contract. That is great stuff from Bill Guerin. There is a goaltending controversy in Minnesota. Though I don't know on the surface that it's about Cam Talbot wanting out of Minnesota. More so than it's about Cam Talbot wanting to be Marc-Andre Fleury's equal. What do I mean by that? Well, it had to suck for Cam Talbot, who, again, was an all-star last year for the Minnesota Wild, to not start in the playoffs. It had to suck for Cam Talbot to have to go into the only game, the only playoff game that he played facing elimination for a Minnesota Wild team that, frankly, he probably should have been the starter for come playoff time anyway. But when you factor in Cam Talbot, 35 years old, is in the last year of his deal at $3.67 million, I think he probably wants a race. Right? Like, I think if Cam Talbot's looking at this objectively, you just gave Marc-Andre Fleury $3.5 million for two years. I have a contract coming up. I'd like a little bit of stability. I want to raise. I feel like I've done, it, done all that I can for this Minnesota Wild team. Do you feel this is Cam Talbot saying, no, I'm done. I want out. Or is it Cam Talbot saying, I want to raise. If you're going to ante up 3.5 for Marc-Andre Fleury, when you have me... Hey, an all-star, I think I need a little bit more money. I think it's a, it's it's maybe a combination of both. Um, look, I, I don't blame Cam Talbot one bit for being angry at this situation. Uh, he was playing fine last year, and through no fault of his own, he lost his job. I mean, I, I, I still don't understand how he ended up being the guy on the bench for, for a majority of that series against St. Louis. Um, and then you throw him in finally in the last game, and and he, you know, he played well, but the team didn't play well enough. I, I think he's angry, and I think he has a right to be angry. And I think if he either wants to be traded or he wants a raise, I don't think he's satisfied with status quo. Where I think it gets interesting is Bill Guerin basically be being like, I don't really give a damn what you think or what you want. <laughs> status quo is the way it is. I'm the boss. Get back in your lane. Yeah. Like that's that's. Yeah. That's why I think this situation could become volatile. I think they're mm-hmm. going to end up trading Cam Talbot. I, I can't see. Yeah. First of all, you've got two goalies who are on the wrong side of 35. I can't see this being a solution that works itself out for the Minnesota Wild. Mm-hmm. Because you've, you've got two guys who, who both in their mind are the number one goalie. Like it's a different dynamic than when Robin Leonard came to Vegas. I think he understood that it was Marc-Andre Fleury's team. He, that didn't mean he was just going to pack it in. I mean, he played his ass off. But mm-hmm. this is a different situation. This is two guys who, who both think that they're the number one goalie in the organization. And I don't think the Minnesota Wild send the message to Cam Talbot that you're the number one goalie when they re-sign Marc-Andre Fleury to a two-year extension. Like, I think they're sending the message to Cam Talbot, you're not 1A. If you're 1, you're 1B. More than likely, you're number two. Deal with it. 
That's wild. Yeah, it's it's pretty wild to me, no pun intended. But uh, that's that's just one of those things that you're you're gonna they're gonna have to figure out. They're going to have to work through. And I, I agree with you um, that I don't think, legitimately, I don't think that Cam Talbot is going to be a Minnesota Wild next season. I think that they're going to trade him. The Vancouver Canucks. This is a fun story. We'll get <laughs> back to goaltending here in a minute. Uh, the Vancouver Canucks did something pretty awesome with the 80th overall pick. They drafted defenseman Elias Pettersson. You might be saying, well, oh, wait, a, wait a second. They already have an Elias Pettersson. Yes, they do. It's a forward Elias Pettersson. Now they have both Elias Pettersson's in their organization. They've got Elias Pettersson, the forward, and Elias Pettersson, the defenseman, Chapman, uh, this is rough because eventually there's going to be a game in which both Elias Pettersons are playing for the Vancouver Canucks, and I just don't know how you reconcile that when you're calling a game. Well, you, you hope that that happens. And I wonder how many times the newly drafted Elias Pettersson was asked who his favorite player on the uh, on the Vancouver Canucks is. Um, I, I, I find that funny because there was a time where there were two Sebastian, actually there still are two Sebastian Ajos, uh, I remember we went down the list and we found players who had the same name in the NHL, and it's kind of funny. But Elias Pettersson is kind of—it's not like it's not like the original Elias Pettersson is old enough for this kid to be mm-hmm. named. Like it's not like a parent who grew up during Wayne Gretzky's heyday and named their son Wayne, right? Like it's not like Elias Pettersson was named after this Elias Pettersson. I mean, there's so many guys that I've come across named Isaiah Thomas. It's funny, right? Because they were obviously named after the NBA star Isaiah Thomas. But this is a weird one because I I, I, I don't know enough about the the second Elias Pettersson, but I don't know what happens when they're on the ice together. Like, if one's a defenseman, one's a forward, there will be a moment where if they are on the same team, they will be on the ice together. And I cannot wait for the moment where Elias Pettersson has an assist to Elias Pettersson and you have to figure out, especially when you're listening on the radio, which Elias Pettersson it is who assisted who on the goal. Like, I cannot wait well, for that. I, I'd argue if it's a goal, it's probably forward Elias Pettersson from defenseman Elias Pettersson. But, boy, I've never wanted a player to make it in the NHL more than Elias Pettersson. Not that Elias Pettersson, but the other Elias Pettersson. Yeah, you lost me. Uh-huh. Duncan Keith... Sad this is a good in one. NHL. <laughs> Duncan Keith is set to retire after seven after a 17-year career in which he won two Norris trophies, a Conn Smythe, and three Stanley Cups. He had one year left on his contract, Duncan Keith did. And so it actually ends up working out pretty well for the Edmonton Oilers. His entire contract comes off the books and Edmonton is left with about 16 million dollars somewhere in there of cap space in which they can utilize going into next season however cap recapture is a thing and it's not a thing for the Edmonton Oilers but it's a thing for the team that originally signed the contract and that team is wouldn't you know it the Chicago Blackhawks so Chicago who yesterday traded Alex to for reasons I suppose uh Freed up about $6.4 million. Then they took on the contract of Peter Morazic, and it ended up 
in a situation where, okay, they're going to weaponize their cap space, only to find out that the next day they're going to be hit with a cap recapture penalty for Duncan Keith. Next year, $5.53 million dead cap space in the cap recapture for the Chicago Blackhawks. So effectively, effectively, all, right, all of the money that they saved on Alex Dabrinkit is going right back onto the cap and dead cap space. not going to matter. They're not going to be good next year. We've kind of chronicled that over the last two days. But it is pretty funny in the context of what they've done over the last 24 hours and how it's working out on the other side. And then next season, it'll be a cap recapture penalty of $1.93 million. So Duncan Keith retires from the NHL. Official announcement's coming shortly. Um, and it somehow, in a roundabout way, directly complicates things for the Chicago Blackhawks. I love it. I think it's fantastic. First of all, congratulations on a great career to Duncan Keith. But boy, oh boy, oof, this one's not good Yeah, for, I, the, for the Chicago Blackhawks. I wasn't sure what, what that actually meant. So I had to look up and, and I found an article actually from NBC Chicago talking about it. And for those who don't know, salary recapture is was put into place in the 2013 collective bargaining agreement. And what it is, is it punishes teams who circumvented the salary cap by front-loading contracts. So Duncan Keith signed a 13-year contract, which, by the way, is now illegal. You cannot sign a player to a 13-year contract. Eight is the now uh, length that you can assign a guy to. But they paid him $8 million a year. Initially, the salary cap went down to, or his, his contract went down to $5.5 million. So um, we're talking about almost $3 million difference between the beginning of the contract and today so um you know the funny thing is he 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 almost played the full 13 seasons in the contract but it was probably a, a good deal when chicago did it they're probably like hey you know what we're gonna lock this guy up forever we're gonna be good for a while let's let's get him let's get him under contract what i don't like is the league putting this stipulation into the collective bargaining agreement after a contract has already been signed but i understand why yep. it was done and I feel bad that it was done to, to teams that that did things before this rule was in place. Like I don't know how you go act, go back and retroactively punish a team for something that was done before it was agreed to. But it's the NHL. It was agreed to. It was signed. I mean, I guess it sucks for Chicago. But I mean, right now everything kind of sucks for the Blackhawks. So the Detroit Red Wings making a splash at the. NHL draft traded for and extended Vili Husso of the St. Louis Blues. The Blues got the 73rd overall pick for Husso from Detroit goes 3.75 for Husso on his contract extension. So uh, you look at that and you say Detroit gets their goalie sort of because you've already got Calder Trophy vote getter Alex Nedeljkovic um, in Detroit. Now you supplement that with Billy Huso. It's probably a tandem situation you would expect to, uh, with with Huso and Nedeljkovic. Um, I, I guess, I guess the way that I look like Detroit's probably not ready for a true number one, and that's okay. But um, at some point, they're going to be good, and and if you've got both of those guys, I think it's going to hamper what you can do in terms of getting a true number one. Yeah, because it seems like both guys are like one B or twos, 
Um, yeah. I mean, someone thought Nadelkovic was was clearly much better than that, but um, won't, won't beat a dead horse on that. But, you know, it, it, I, I don't think it's a terrible trade for Detroit. I mean, but you're right. At some point, you're going to be good. You, you, you've developed some really good young players. you got some more that hopefully pan out for you. At some point, you're going to want a true number one goalie. Having two yeah. guys on, on, on your roster and then extending Huso, who really didn't show much in the playoffs, uh, it's, it's it, you know what? I, I will say this. Steve Eiserman doesn't make a lot of mistakes, so mm-hmm. I will trust that he knows what he's doing here. I could, I could mock it and laugh about it, but you know what? The guy's a genius, amazing player, almost as good in the front office yep. as he was as a player. He knows what he's doing. I'm going to trust him. I, I, I think he has an idea what, what he's going to do here. Along the, the lines of goaltenders, the Washington Capitals traded Vitek Vanacek to the New Jersey Devils for a couple of draft picks. Uh, Washington received the number 27 and the number 70 selections from New Jersey for Vanacek. You are a New Jersey guy. You um, have fandom, I suppose, when it comes to the Devils. How do you feel about this one, Chapman? I, I, I think it's an okay move. Uh, I, I will say this. I don't think Mackenzie Blackwood was was anything special. I think he was he was a, a guy, like he was a guy. He wasn't anything great. Uh, health has kind of been an issue. An issue. Vanacek is young. Uh, he's only 26. He's only played two full NHL seasons, and his numbers aren't bad. So I think for the Devils, it's probably look. We we needed to upgrade this position. I think they feel like they they're ready to make a run, at least become a potential playoff team. Uh, maybe they saw something in Vanacek. Um, it, it, it's it's not a trade I expected. I certainly wasn't didn't wake up this morning and think the Devils were going to trade for Vitek Vanacek. I, I thought they were going to be a player in free agency for a goalie. And maybe they still will be. But I don't think you give up a second-round pick for a guy who you, you intend to be a backup. So I think Vanacek is going to be the guy. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I, I, I don't dislike it for the New Jersey Devils. I... Uh, I still, again, I feel like they're a team that, that needs a true number one. If Vanacek can kind of blossom into that guy, then great. But uh, you got to see it to believe it, and that's kind of where they're at with the New Jersey Devils. Those are your one-timers brought to you by Paul Powell. More lawyers, less fee. We're back to wrap it up next. It's Catching Up with Chapman. When the guy wouldn't stop talking, we had no choice but to give him his own segment. It's time for Catching Up with Chapman. All right, Ryan. So uh, there was a was a trade today that that we did not mention, and I don't really want to gloat or or pump up the trade too much. But Tony D'Angelo was traded today from the Carolina Hurricanes to the Philadelphia Flyers, a team that, well, quite frankly, probably hasn't gotten any better this offseason. But they now have Tony D'Angelo, Gritty, and John Tortorella that will be in the same building. For 41 home nights a season. So I'm going to ask the question, who's the first one to be out of Philadelphia? Like, who's the first one to to, to no longer be in Philadelphia when, when the dust settles here? I think I think Gritty's uh, safe. I think Gritty's going to be safe. But but you never know. Well, I, I mean, Tony D'Angelo's contract is just two years, right? So um, I would imagine that John Tortorella will be there longer than Tony D'Angelo, unless it works out really well with uh, with Philadelphia and Tony D'Angelo, in which case, um, 
Who knows if the Flyers will extend D'Angelo beyond just the two years, but I think it'll be a fascinating dynamic between John Tortorella and Tony D'Angelo because I think that there's potential there uh, for fireworks, yes. for sure. But I, don't, I also <laughs> think there's potential for John Tortorella to appreciate kind of the the fiery nature of Tony D'Angelo. Like, I don't know how it's going to work out, I I don't think Tony D'Angelo is the the kind of player a struggling defensively Philadelphia Flyers team uh, is going to want because a lot of the plays that he makes leads directly to offense for the other team. So um, <laughs> I don't know how that's going to work for John Tortorella, but it'll be interesting to find out. Yeah, yeah, that that's going to be one of the more intriguing uh, stories as we go into next season, the dynamic between those two. Yeah, I can't wait. As we wrap up another week, we're back with you on Monday. Development camp, it kicks off then. Have a great weekend, everybody.